Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a Moscow Mule. What do you have, Del? I am drinking a vodka tonic, and on this week's episode, we are going to discuss the poisoning of Russian spy Alexander Litvinenko. His death caused many people to look at the dangers of opposing Vladimir Putin, the power of the intelligence community, and the inability for Russians to criticize their government. Let's start with some background on Litvinenko and his involvement with the FSB. Alexander Litvinenko was born in 1962 in Russia. In 1980, he was drafted into the internal troops of the Ministry of Internal Affairs. After his graduation from Kirov Higher Command School, he became a platoon commander. In 1986, he became an informant for the FSB, and in 1988, he transferred to the Military Counterintelligence Division. Later that year, after studying for a year at the Novosibirsk Military Counterintelligence School, he became an operational officer and served in the KGB Military Counterintelligence Division. In 1991, Litvinenko was promoted to the central staff of the Federal Counterintelligence Services, specializing in counterterrorist activities and infiltration of organized crime. In 1994, Litvinenko met Boris Berenzovsky. He took part in investigations into assassination attempts on the oligarch and was later responsible for the oligarch security. In 1997, Litvinenko was promoted to the FSB Director of Analysis and Suppression of Criminal Groups with the title of Senior Operational Officer. While working for the FSB, Litvinenko discovered corruption within the top brass. He wrote Boris Yeltsin about the corruption issues. Berezovsky arranged a meeting with him and FSB Director Mikhail Barsuskov to discuss the corruption problems, but this didn't change anything. On July 25, 1998, Berezovsky introduced Litvinenko to Vladimir Putin. He said, quote, go see Putin, make yourself known, see what a great guy we have installed with your help, end quote. Litvinenko reported to Putin on corruption in the FSB, but Putin was unimpressed. Litvinenko said to his wife after the meeting, quote, I could see in his eyes that he hated me, end quote. Litvinenko said he was doing an investigation of Uzbek drug barons who received protection from the FSB, and Putin tried to stall the investigation to save his reputation. On the 13th of November, 1998, Berezovsky wrote an open letter to Putin in Kommersant, a Russian newspaper. He accused senior officers of the Dictorate of Analysis and Suppression of Criminal Groups of ordering his assassination. Four days later, on November 17th, Litvinenko and four other officers appeared together in a press conference at the Russian news agency Interfax. They repeated the allegation made by Berezovsky. During the interview, the FSB officers, who were disguised in masks or dark glasses, claimed that their bosses had ordered them to kill, kidnap, or frame prominent Russian politicians and business people. After holding the press conference, Litvinenko was dismissed from the FSB. Later in an interview with Yelena Tregobova, 
Putin said that he personally ordered the dismissal of Litvinenko, stating, quote, I fired Litvinenko and disbanded his unit because FSB officers should not stage press conferences. This is not their job, and they should not make internal scandals public, end quote. Litvinenko also believed that Putin was behind his arrest. He said, quote, Putin had the power to decide whether to pass my file to the prosecutors or not. He always hated me, and there was a bonus for him. By throwing me to the wolves, he distanced himself from Boris Berezovsky in the eyes of FSB's generals, end quote. In October 2000, Litvinenko and his family traveled to Turkey in violation of an order not to leave Moscow. While in Turkey, Litvinenko applied for asylum at the United States Embassy, but his application was denied. With the help of Alexander Goldfarb, Litvinenko bought air tickets for the Istanbul-London-Moscow flight and asked for political asylum at Heathrow Airport in London during the transit stop on November 1st, 2000. Political asylum was granted on May 14, 2001 on humanitarian grounds. In 2002, Litvinenko was convicted in absentia in Russia and given a three and a half year jail sentence for charges of corruption. While in London, he became a journalist for Chechen Press and an author and joined Berezovsky in campaigning against Putin's government. During the public inquiry started in January 2015, it was confirmed that during this time, Litvinenko was recruited by MI6 to provide, quote, useful information about senior Kremlin figures and their links with Russian organized crime, end quote, primarily related to Russian mafia activities in Spain. While in political asylum, Litvinenko accused Putin and Russian government of sponsoring and committing foreign and domestic terrorism. We are going to look at a few examples that were produced by Litvinenko. Litvinenko stated that, quote, all the bloodiest terrorists of the world, end quote, were connected to FSB KGB. He said that all of them were trained, funded, and provided with weapons, explosives, and counterfeit documents to carry out terrorist attacks worldwide, and that each act of terrorism made by these people was carried out according to the task and under the rigid control of the KGB of the USSR. Litvinenko accused the main intelligence dictorate of the general staff of the Russian Armed Forces of having organized the 1999 Armenian Parliament shooting that killed the Prime Minister of Armenia and seven members of parliament. He accused the Russian secret services of staging the Russian apartment bombings and other terrorist acts in an effort to bring Vladimir Putin to power. Alexander Litvinenko accused Vladimir Putin of ordering the assassination of the Russian journalist Anna Politkovskaya and stated that a former presidential candidate, Irina Hakamada, warned Politskaya about threats to her life coming from the Russian president. Litvinenko advised Politkovskaya to escape from Russia immediately. According to Litvinenko, the 2005 controversy over the publication in the Danish newspaper Jylands Posten of editorial cartoons depicting the Islamic prophet Muhammad was orchestrated by the FSB to punish Denmark for its refusal to extradite Chechen separatists. This brings us to November 1st, 2006, when Litvinenko suddenly was ill. He was vomiting and at times couldn't stand on his own without assistance. On November 3rd, he was admitted to Barnett Hospital in London under the name Edwin Carter. He was transferred to University College Hospital, where they did blood and urine analysis to determine the cause of Litvinenko's illness. A photograph was taken of Litvinenko on his deathbed and released to the public. Litvinenko said, quote, I want the world to see what they did to me, end quote. On November 22nd, Litvinenko's heart failed and he died at 9.21 p.m. in London. In his last statement, he said about Putin, quote, This may be the time 
to say one or two things to the person responsible for my present condition. You may succeed in silencing me, but that silence comes at a price. You have shown yourself to be as barbaric and ruthless as your most hostile critics have claimed. You have shown yourself to have no respect for life, liberty, or civilized value. You have shown yourself to be unworthy of your office, to be unworthy of the trust of civilized men and women. You may succeed in silencing one man, but the howl of protest from around the world will reverberate, Mr. Putin, in your ears for the rest of your life. May God forgive you for what you have done, not only to me, but to beloved Russia and its people, end quote. On December 1st, an autopsy was conducted and determined that Litvinenko had ingested polonium-210, a poisonous radioactive isotope. The Metropolitan Police announced on December 6, 2006, that it was treating Litvinenko's death as murder. Interpol also joined the investigation, providing quote-unquote speedy exchange of information between British, Russian, and German police. Detectives traced three distinct polonium trails in and out of London at three different dates. This suggested that there were two attempts to poison Lefenyanko prior to the third and eventually successful poisoning. The first attempt took place on October 16, 2006, when radioactive traces were found in all places visited by the FSV operatives before and after their meeting with, with Lefenyanko. They administered the poison to his tea, but he did not drink it. The second attempt took place on October 25th. There were radioactive traces again in a hotel prior, but the assassins did not administer the poison, perhaps due to security cameras in the meeting room. They again disposed of the poison via their room's toilet and left London. The third attempt to poison Lithuanianko took place around 5 p.m. on November 1st in the Millennium Hotel in Governor Square. All three of these attempts were traced back to the same men, Andre Legovo and Dmitry Kostan. During the first attempt, they apparently did not fully realize they were handling a radioactive poison. While handling a leaky container, they stored it in their hotel rooms, used ordinary towels to clean up leaks, and eventually disposed of the poison in the toilet. On October 17th, they prematurely checked out and moved to another hotel and left London the next day. They may have realized they had contaminated their previous room. Like we said before, during the second attempt, the men left radioactive traces in their hotel prior to meeting Lithuanenko. On their third attempt, they met Lithuanenko at the Millennium Hotel and successfully poisoned his tea. Since polonium is radioactive, it leaves a trail that the detectives and scientists working on this case were able to trace. They were found in the office of Berzovsky, the planes that Lukovoy and Kofton used to fly in and out of London, as well as dozens of other locations. After being poisoned, Litvinenko also left trails of polonium. Litvinenko had also visited Berezovsky's office and left traces on the fax machine. At 6 p.m., Ahmed Zekayev picked Litvinenko up and brought him to Muswell Hill. The amount of radioactivity left by Litvinenko in the car was so significant that the car was rendered unusable. Everything that he touched at home during the next three days was contaminated. His family was unable to return to the house even six months later. His wife tested positive for ingesting polonium, but did not leave a secondary trail behind her. This suggested that anyone who left a trail could not have picked up the polonium from Litvinenko. The patterns and level of radioactivity suggested that Lukovoy and Kofton handled polonium directly, whereas Litvinenko ingested it. 
The human body dilutes polonium before excreting it in sweat, which results in a reduced radioactivity level. On May 28, 2007, the British Foreign Office submitted a formal request to the Russian government for the extradition of Andrei Lugovoy to the UK to face criminal charges relating to Litvinenko's murder. The Russian General Prosecutor's Office declined to extradite Lugovoy, citing that extradition of citizens is not allowed under the Russian Constitution. On July 7, 2008, a British security source told the BBC's Newsnight program, quote, We very strongly believe the Litvinenko case to have had some state involvement. There are very strong indications, end quote. In January 2016, a UK public inquiry headed by Sir Robert Owen found that Andrei Lugovoy and Dmitry Kovtun were responsible for the poisoning of Litvinenko. The inquiry also found that there was a strong possibility that Lugovoy and Kovtun were acting under the direction of the FSB and that their actions were probably approved by both Nikolai Petrushev, director of the FSB, and President Vladimir Putin. In September 2021, the European Court of Human Rights, the ECHR, found that Russia was responsible for Litvinenko's killing. The court noted that the, quote, planned and complex operation involving the procurement of a rare deadly poison, the travel arrangements for the pair, and repeated and sustained attempts to administer the poison indicated that Mr. Litvinenko had been the target of the operation, end quote. The case is still officially unsolved, though it is likely that the United Kingdom's inquest findings that Putin and other Russian state actors orchestrated the killing of Alexander Litvinenko with Andrei Lugovo and Dmitry Kolstun being directly responsible for administering the poison. Jenny, do you think that this is the case and what are your overall feelings on this case? I 100% believe that the Russian government and Vladimir Putin were involved. I don't think there will ever be justice, unfortunately. I feel like it's one of those things that can be so easily covered up, especially by a government that I guess doesn't seem to care about what anyone thinks of it and is very willing to kill or harm its enemies and traitors. It's really scary to see length that some officials will go. Not that it hasn't happened in the US, but I think it really adds to worldwide fear of Russia, and which I know we'll talk about a little more later and Vladimir Putin's involvement in that. It's just sad that Litvinenko had to suffer like that. He seemed like a really badass guy, in my opinion, for exposing what he thought was corruption in his workplace. And I think that's very admirable. And I do believe his claims. And he kind of solved his own murder in a way, which is also pretty interesting and not something you see very often. And he was believed when he told Dr doctors and other people that, hey, I think the Russian government killed me and I think this is what happened. You don't often see that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It's pretty clear that the highest echelon of the Russian government was involved in both the planning of the killing of Alexander Litvinenko as well as making sure that justice was not going to be served in this case. Unfortunately, there is a quirk in the Russian constitution which doesn't allow for extradition, which I find to be reprehensible that all you need to do is just 
be a national of another country and you could just fly back to that country despite the fact that you're a murderer. It does fall in line with the general premise of the Russian government definitely wanting Lifanenko to be silent. And it also makes me think of the people that are currently speaking out against the Russian government. This case, along with others, bolsters the negative reputation of Russian leader Vladimir Putin. Putin's reputation is vastly divided within his home country and outside of it. Within Russia, he is seen by most as a strong leader and someone who puts Russia first and will use any means to achieve the goal of Russia being the top superpower in the geopolitical sphere. Outside of Russia, specifically in the United States, Putin is seen as a strongman or dictator that uses corruption and assassinations to maintain power. Putin demands absolute loyalty from the oligarchy and being friends with Putin grants individuals the ability to prosper within Russian society. We're going to look at some of the things that led to this conflicting reputation and the numerous issues that have arisen under Putin's leadership. So let's start by looking at a portrait of Putin. Putin is seen as an outdoors and sporty person. He currently has a black belt in judo. And on his trip to Tuva in August of 2007, Putin was seen riding horses, rafting, fishing, and swimming in the cold Siberian River. In September 2012, Putin flew in a motorized hang glider alongside endangered Siberian white cranes to quote-unquote guide them on their migration to Asia. Putin is seen as a man's man. And this has led to a very high approval rating within Russia, sometimes getting as high as 81%. He was also voted as Russia's most handsome man in 2021. But this is all largely seen as Russian state propaganda. According to international human rights organizations, the following were among the common violation of human rights in Russia, including deaths in custody, the widespread and systematic torture of persons in custody, hazing in the Russian army, neglect and cruelty in Russian orphanages, and violation of children's rights along with a myriad of other things. Many assassinations in addition to Litvinenko's have been linked to Vladimir Putin and his associates. In 1998, human rights advocate Galina Starovoitova was shot dead in St. Petersburg at the entrance of her apartment. In 2003, Yuri Shekochikin mysteriously died from illness causing speculation into his death such as poisoning. In 2003, the liberal politician Sergei Yushchenkov was shot dead. In 2006, investigative journalist Anna Politkovskaya was shot dead. In 2009, human rights activist Stanislav Markalov and journalist Anastasia Babaruva were shot dead in Moscow. In 2015, opposition politician Boris Nemstov was shot dead near the Kremlin. And in 2017, journalist Nikolai Andrushenko was beaten to death. As of June 2020, per Memorial Human Rights Center, there were 380 political prisoners in Russia, including 63 individuals prosecuted directly or indirectly for political activities and 245 prosecuted for their involvement with one of the Muslim organizations that are banned in Russia. The judiciary of Russia is subject to manipulation by political authorities according to Amnesty International. The court system has been widely used to suppress political opposition, as in the cases of Pussy Riot, Alexei Navalny, Zarima, and Vyacheslav Maltsev, and to block candidatures of Kremlin political enemies. 
Russian police are known to use torture as a means to extract forced confessions of guilt. Torture at police stations, jails, prisons, and penal colonies is common and widespread. Doctors and nurses sometimes also take part in torturing and beating prisoners and suspects. Human rights groups estimated that about 11,000 inmates and prison detainees die annually, most because of overcrowding, disease, and lack of medical care. Internet censorship and media freedom is also a major problem within Russia. Since at least 2015, Russia has collaborated with Chinese Great Firewall security officials in implementing its data retention and filtering infrastructure. Reporters Without Borders put Russia at 147th place in the World Press Freedom Index from a list of 168 countries. Russia's System of Operational Investigatory Measures, SORM, requires telecommunications operators to install hardware provided by the Federal Security Service, the FSB, which allows the agency to monitor users' communication, metadata, and content, including phone calls, email traffic, and web browsing activity. Individuals within the LGBTQ community have little to no rights or protections within Russia. This is tied to the general hostility against the LGBTQ LGBT community, which has been fueled by Putin. Neither same-sex marriage nor civil unions of same-sex couples are allowed in Russia. In 2013, it was reported that the Defense Ministry had issued a guideline on assessments of new recruits' mental health that recommends recruits be asked about their sexual history and be examined for certain types of tattoos, especially genital and buttocks tattoos that would allegedly indicate a homosexual orientation. A Russian motorcycle club called the Night Wolves, which is closely associated with Putin and which says, quote, death to a gay slur as an alternative name for itself, organized a large rally in February 2015 at which a popular slogan was, we don't need Western ideology and gay parades. In Russian psychiatry, Soviet mentality about homosexuality has endured into the present day. For example, in spite of the removal of homosexuality from the nomenclature of mental illnesses, 62.5% of 450 survey psychiatrists in the Rostov region view it as an illness, and up to three-quarters view it as immoral behavior. Alexander Litvinenko is not the only individual whose death is typically seen as a political assassination. We are going to look at two other cases of political assassinations. The first is Kim Jong-nam. On February 13, 2017, Kim Jong-nam died after being exposed to VX nerve agent at Kuala Lumpur International Airport in Malaysia. Malaysian police said that Kim had alerted an airport receptionist saying that, quote, someone had grabbed him from behind and splashed a liquid on his face, end quote, and a woman, quote, covered his face with a cloth laced with a liquid, end quote. A resuscitation device was strapped to Kim's face and he was then transported by stretcher through the airport to reach an ambulance. Kim required tracheal intubation and the saliva, vomit, and blood in his mouth needed to be suctioned out. He died while being transferred from the airport to the Pruta Jaya Hospital. On February 15th, Malaysian police arrested 28-year-old Vietnamese woman Don T. Quang at Kuala Lumpur International Airport in connection with the attack. On February 16th, a 25-year-old Indonesian woman named Siti Asia was arrested and identified as the second female suspect. On February 17th, police arrested a 46-year-old North Korean man named Ri Jong Chol. 
all three of the suspects' murder charges were dropped. Kwong later pleaded guilty to the lesser charge of voluntarily causing hurt by dangerous weapons or means. She was sentenced to three years and four months in prison, but received a one-third reduction in her term and was released on May 3, 2019. And perhaps the most famous example of a political assassination, President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated on April 14, 1865. Lincoln's assassination was part of a larger conspiracy intended by Booth to revive the Confederate cause by eliminating the three most important officials in the United States government. Conspirators Lewis Powell and David Harrell were assigned to kill Secretary of State William Stewart and George Azarot was tasked with killing Vice President Andrew Johnson. Beyond Lincoln's death, the plot failed. Stewart was only wounded and Johnson's would-be attacker became drunk instead of killing the vice president. In a letter to his mother, Booth wrote of his desire to avenge the South. On April 11th, Booth attended Lincoln's last speech in which Lincoln promoted voting rights for emancipated slaves. Booth said, quote, that means that inward citizenship. This is the last speech he will ever give, end quote. On April 14th, Booth's morning started at midnight. He wrote his mother that all was well, but that he was quote-unquote in haste. In his diary, he wrote that, quote, our cause being almost lost, something decisive and great must be done, end quote. The conspirators met for the final time at 8.45 p.m. Booth assigned Powell to kill Secretary of State Stewart at his home, Azeroth to kill Vice President Johnson at the Kirkwood Hotel, and Harold to guide Powell, who was unfamiliar with Washington, to the Stewart house and then to a rendezvous with Booth in Maryland. Booth was the only well-known member of the conspiracy. Access to the theater's upper floor containing the presidential box was restricted, and Booth was the only conspirator who could have realistically expected to be admitted there without difficulty. Booth knew the play Our American Cousin by heart, and waited to time his shot at about 10.15 p.m. with the laughter of one of the hilarious lines of the play delivered by actor Harry Hall, stating, quote, Well, I guess I know enough to turn you inside out, old gal. You soft, adolescent, old man trap, end quote. Lincoln was laughing at this line when Booth opened the door, stepped forward, and shot Lincoln from behind with his pistol. Booth fled and was later killed. Sergeant Boston Corbett crept up behind the barn where Booth was hiding and shot Booth, quote, in the back of the head about an inch below the spot where his shot had entered the head of Mr. Lincoln, end quote. So, Jenny, what are your thoughts on political assassinations? They're really scary, and I think they happen probably a lot more than we might think in modern times. I'm not sure. I think it's probably easier to hide a lot of stuff nowadays than it was you know back when Abraham Lincoln was killed I'll be honest I didn't know a lot of this stuff leading up to Abraham Lincoln I don't know if I've talked about my education on this podcast before I went to a public school and I totally support and love public schools but I feel like I really did not learn uh, much about his assassination and I'm definitely interested to know more about Kim Jong-nam I think 
that type of attack with like splashing liquid i think that's kind of the sign of like hey this is not just a normal like assault on someone it's kind of these like weird substances like the polonium with litvinenko so i think political assassinations are one of those things where you never know when it's happening but when it's you never know when it's gonna happen but when it does it's always a big deal and you're always thinking about the historical ramifications of the fact that this person was assassinated or you're looking at well why did the person that planned the assassination do it that wraps up this week's case Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think happened to Alexander Litvinenko. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on Roman Polanski. As always, stay safe.